Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. Have you ever grown up in a rural area? Maybe you live somewhere like I did in Bluntstown where the nearest movie theater is about an hour away. Well, have you ever grown up in a little Wyoming town where the nearest high school was 85 miles away one way? Or did you grow up and work on your family's cattle ranch and have to battle the snow, the droughts, the rain, all that jazz? Well, today our guest is Casey Atkinson. She is a Wyoming cattle rancher and she's going to talk to us about her experiences growing up on a cattle ranch, working on that cattle ranch now, and also how she's starting to dabble into working with public speaking and kind of bringing the message to consumers, to farmers, and kind of trying to figure out ways farmers can kind of better get their message out there or better communicate to farmers. It's a really cool conversation. We're going to talk a lot about beef, talk a lot about agriculture. Really hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. This is episode 21 with Casey Atkinson. Well, welcome to the Farm Traveler podcast, Casey Atkinson. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing well, thanks. Um, so you are on a cattle ranch in Wyoming. So, But before I... we get started on that, tell us about kind of your start in ag and kind of how you got there. Okay, so um, my great-great and great-grandfathers actually came over on a boat from England in the 1870s. And they settled um, on part of the ranch that we still operate on now in the 1880s. And so um, I guess I didn't really get a choice in the matter. I was born on the ranch. Um, and so, you know, I was definitely raised in this lifestyle. When my parents got married, they bought some additional land, um, which I was raised on. And after my grandmother passed away, um, you know, my dad was able to inherit the part of the ranch that's been in the family for several generations now. Um, and so I, I went off and did some other things. Um, I've actually been home full time on the ranch now for just over two years. 
um, the unfortunate uh, passing of my brother led me to come home to the family ranch. He was the one who was going to kind of come home and take it over. But uh, when he passed away, it it kind of opened the door and I decided it was time for me to come home. So that's kind of how I ended up um, back on the family ranch where I am now. Gotcha. Okay. So what's it like living in Wyoming on the cattle ranch? I mean, I'm sure you, you've mentioned that it's kind of like 10 miles past nowhere, like which is your blog title. Um, so what's that been like? It is. So um, even for people, I think in the cattle industry or in agriculture in general, we are in a little bit of a unique situation. Um, it is over 40 miles to the nearest paved road from where I live. Uh, the town that we go get our groceries in and where I went to high school is 85 miles away. Uh, we only get mail twice a week. So you have to plan, you know, paying your bills and those kinds of things because the mailman isn't going to show up every day like he does for most people. You know, we, we've we never had landline phone service. Um, and I know that's not a thing for most people now because everyone has a cell phone. But I was in eighth grade before cell phones became, um, you know, enough even mainstream that that anyone would have one. And so we had one of those giant bag phones. And so it was just a very different life. Um, our ranch sits at about 7,500 feet in elevation, um, kind of as a starting point. Uh, there are a couple points that are lower than that, and there's a lot of it that's higher than that. So as you can imagine, it's quite cold here a lot of the year. Um, it can be very snowy, which I'm not always a fan of, uh, the cold and the snow, but it's a, it's a very unique environment. Um, but you know, it's, I guess I don't know any different, you know, we, for the most part, our neighbors are more than 10 miles away. And so, you know, it's, it's very isolated, but we have a great community out here and, you know, it's an environment where if you need help, um, you know, you just have to call on a neighbor and, and they're going to come help you. And, um, I think it's, it's easy to get lost out here, I think, and forget the, that the rest of the world exists. Um, and sometimes that's a good thing, um, I think, to just kind of be out here and to be able to operate and, and do what we do and, um, you know, have the opportunity to go to town and appreciate things like Domino's Pizza. Because, um, you know, if you forgot your milk, you're you're not going to run to the grocery store real quick and get it. So a little bit different here in Wyoming where we live. It certainly sounds like that. I can't. You said you're 85 miles away from the nearest high school. Yes. That yep. is absolutely nuts. I can't believe that. <laughs> yeah. When I tell people that their eyes tend to get really big, they're like, um, how did that work? And I was like, well, you know, we, we had a place that we stayed in town during the week. I didn't, I didn't have to commute that every single day. That would have been a challenge. Gotcha. Yeah. That's a smart idea. That would have been a nightmare every day driving like 170 <laughs> miles just for school. That's crazy. Um, yeah. So, so what's your cattle ranch like? How many acres do you guys have? And I think I read on your blog that you guys raise Angus. We do. So um, all total put together, uh, we have over 15,000 acres that we operate on. And that includes both the land that we own um, and the land that we lease through, you know, we have some Bureau of Land Management land that we lease um, and some state of Wyoming land as well that comes um, within our acreage. And so we have right around 400 head of mother cows um, that we run in and calve out. Of course, you know, you've got bulls and horses and replacement calves and different things uh, running around that add to that total, but right around 400 head. And 
my dad is is pretty diehard black Angus. Uh, when I was 10, we had bought some heifers that were supposedly bred to um, Angus and Charlet bulls. And I don't think the Charlet bull did his business like he was supposed to because there was only one calf out of the 50 that we had that was born that was part Charlet, but it happened to be a little heifer calf, a little girl that was white. And so I kept her um, and I still, all of these years later, um, have white cows in my herd. And so I love them. They give my father heartburn. That's an additional bonus to me um, that he looks out on his landscape of all of these black cows and has to look at my my few white ones. So, uh, but primarily we keep black Angus cattle here. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it makes it pretty easy to find all those white cows out there. You're <laughs> like, yep, those are mine. <laughs> those, I know. It's awesome. Except in the snow, sometimes they disappear there. But the rest of the year, we're good. I'm just like, yep, that's my cow. That's my cow. Makes it easy. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. That's really cool. Um, so you mentioned in, in one of our emails when we were going back and forth that one of your friends was at having questions about grass finished and kind of grain finished and what exactly the difference would be. So you can, can you kind of touch base on that a little bit? Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we raise cow calf, which means, you know, we have mother cows, they're going to produce calves in the spring. And then in October, when they're ready to wean, um, we're actually going to sell those calves and they're going to go to the next person in the production chain. Um, so we, we only keep calves for about the first six months of their life, um, and then they go on to the next person. And so we would be part of, you know, the conventional system. All of our beef, more than likely, that we're producing here is going to end up in a grain finish system, um, which is kind of, I guess, the predominant system here um, where, you know, they're going to go to a stalker or a backgrounder who's going to raise them for a few months on grass until they get big enough to go into the feed yard um, where they can be finished out on a ration that is still going to include forage um, because cattle are ruminant animals. They have to have forage in their diet 100% of the time in order to keep their stomach going um, and to not get sick and to remain healthy. And so even though grain becomes a component of that that diet, it's, you know, grain-finished beef still um, eat 90% grass um, in their entire lifespan. And so grain is a, a pretty minimal part of their diet, even in grain finish. But the, you know, for people who live um, in areas where it is possible to finish out cattle on grass, um, it's certainly an option. There are consumers, you know, who are interested in that. I think if you look at the nutritional profile of the end product, they're almost identical, um, you know, and so it's just, it's, to me, it comes down, I think, more so to a taste preference, what consumers prefer. But it does take a little longer to finish out cattle on grass um, because they aren't going to grow as quickly in the end. And so it takes some additional time to finish them out on grass. And you have to live somewhere where you have grass available uh, 12 months of the year or, you know, access to forage to be able to do that because you can still feed them hay and different things. But, you know, we live... Um, like I said, at 7,500 feet, we have a growing season here of, you know, somewhere around 21 to 28 days is all, um, because, you know, I was still wearing a coat the first of July here where I live. It did not get warm. Um, and there are some days still it's, it's not really warm. And so we just don't have, you know, a huge grass crop like you might get somewhere like Missouri, 
um, you know, where it's warmer, where it's more humid, where you're going to be able to grow grass more long term, where those cattle aren't going to have to fight snow. You know, we had like four feet of snow on the ground at one point this past winter. Um, and so there's there's no grass available during those times. You you definitely have to feed hay. And so it just wouldn't be a cost productive system for us, but it works for people in other parts of the country. Um, and I think that's great. Gotcha. Yeah, I haven't thought about that. Places where it's going to have a lot of snow and not as nearly long as a growing period wouldn't be able to grass finish as much as possible. So that's 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 very interesting. And I haven't really thought about that before. That's the great thing about, I think, the U.S. is it's very diverse. And, you know, cattle operations are very diverse across the United States. And, and you have to raise cattle for your environment and, you know, have the kind of system that works for the environment you're in. Yeah, exactly. Kind of just adapt it to that to that environment that you're in. Um, what are some since you've been back on the cattle ranch? What are some successes you guys have had, and what are some failures? And kind of what have you learned along those lines? You know, I think um, for us, my dad has been doing this for 75 years, um, so you know he's kind of he's kind of got it figured out and and pretty well tuned. I think you know probably any rancher would tell you that. Um, one of the biggest challenges that you're always going to have is the fact that you can't fight mother nature and you never know what she's going to do from year to year. Um, and so you just kind of have to be able to roll with those punches. You know, if she's going to put you in a drought, you kind of have to manage to be prepared for that, you know, um, that this year you may have more grass than you've ever had, but, but the next year you could be, you know, in the worst drought you've ever seen. And so I think, for most people, it's it's planning ahead. It's it's trying to think long term, um, and to be prepared for those things that could be thrown your way. We're kind of at the mercy of the cattle market. You know, we're one of the probably the few industries in the world that doesn't necessarily you don't set your own price um, for what you're going to get for your product. You just kind of take it to market. And you're going to get whatever the market tells you your product is worth that day. And so, you know, again, you kind of have to plan for that. You know, the cattle market is going to ebb and flow. And so are in better seasons, you kind of have to stockpile that money if you can to make sure it's still there um, when you go through a season where maybe the market isn't as strong. And so um, I think those are those are things that you're always tweaking and always fine tuning and trying to figure out how to do that. At the same time, I think you're always looking for ways to be more sustainable. Um, you know, we, like I said, we are operating on land that my great-grandfather settled on back in the 1880s. Um, and when you look around and you see all of the hard work that they did without any of the technology that we have access to, you know, without even things like tractors to make their life simpler, all of the amazing things that they were able to do. But we really look at ways to try to improve on some of the things that they were doing. We have a lot of pasture land that is in big chunks. So, you know, our summer pasture is over 4,000 acres and it's a single pasture, right? That's a large amount of land um, in a single chunk. And so when we purchased that land back when I was in junior high, one of the issues that it had was kind of lack of access to water. So it's not that there wasn't water on it, but it was only on certain parts of the property. And so, you know, cattle, they don't want to have to walk, you know, a couple miles to get a drink after they've grazed. And so one of the things that we were able to do is install a pipeline um, 
and get water accessible throughout that entire pasture. And now they'll utilize the whole thing because they're always within a half a mile of a water source. And so over the years, those are things that we have improved. We just put in another pipeline um, this past fall that will allow another piece of property that we have, another pasture, um, kind of that same thing where cattle are gonna have access to water that they didn't have before. And so that allows us to just utilize that land, that grass um, more efficiently and more effectively. And so, you know, that's kind of the name of the game and staying in business is, is how can we improve? How can we do even just small things more efficiently um, that will help keep us in business down the road? All really good improvements, it sounds like. That's that's super neat. So you've got a, I'm looking at right now, you've got a blog called 10 Miles Past Nowhere. Uh, I do. And you do like some speaking engagements. So tell me how how that all came up and kind of what you do as a, as a, as a speaker. You know, I think I've always joked when people ask me, where do you live? I'm like, oh, you know, I live... 10 miles past the middle of nowhere, you know, because you literally feel like you go to the middle of nowhere and then Casey's house is past that. And so as I got more, I guess, interested in sharing our story, sharing beef story and and wanting to interact with people who who have questions about, you know, how their food is raised or are just interested in, you know, talking with someone who raises beef for a living because that's not something that everybody gets to do every day. And so I thought, you know, how am I going to do this? How am I going to go about this? How am I going to brand myself? And I don't know. I just, the 10 miles past nowhere just kind of made sense because it really does accurately describe, I guess, where we are and, and where we live. And um, when I kind of ran it past a few people, they're like, well, that's kind of catchy. You should go with that. And so that's kind of how that came to be. And so I, you know, have my website and, and I, I look for opportunities. I enjoy speaking to, to anybody. And so, you know, for people who are in the agriculture industry, I think sharing your story can sometimes be intimidating and people don't know how to go about it or they get overwhelmed by all of the ways that you can do that. You know, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and blogs and all of the different ways that you can do it. I think it can seem kind of overwhelming. And so, I enjoy speaking to my fellow producers and kind of giving them ideas of how they might share their story in a way that is comfortable for them. I love speaking. You know, it doesn't bother me to be on a podcast with you this morning. Um, but there are a lot of ranchers who would prefer not to do that. And so there are other ways that, you know, they can still reach people and share their story without maybe necessarily having to get out of their comfort zone and, and talking to them about why we need to share our story. It's not the same world that my grandfather grew up in. And, you know, people are further removed from the farm and ranch than they have ever been before. And I think have less understanding about how their food is raised than they've ever had before. And so it's, it's so important for us to be open and transparent and honest and to have those conversations and to try to connect with these people in a real and meaningful way, not a judgmental, not an I'm going to lecture you and educate you today kind of way, but to try to form real connections so that people feel like they can trust us and we are a credible source of information for them when they have questions about how their food is raised. And then, so on the flip side of that, I also love talking to people who eat, um, which is all of us, but you know, people who do have those questions. Um, 
I definitely hope to reach out and to be able to interact. Um, I spend a lot of time on Instagram because it's kind of a picture platform. And I, I think for me, there's no better way to share my life than in pictures. And so it gives me the opportunity, you know, just to put out there, um, this is what we're doing today, you know. If you have any questions about it, I'd, I'd love to chat with you. And so having the opportunity to speak with people who, who are just interested about what life might be living on a cattle ranch in the middle of nowhere um, and how we're going about raising beef. Um, I love those opportunities. I like it. I like it. I like um, the transparency you're talking about and just kind of building relationships with people, both producers and consumers. Cause that's something I've seen with a lot of people that we've interviewed. They're trying to be more and more transparent and more to, to kind of communicate with people out there that way they can put a name to the face and they can actually see how their food is being processed and being made. So that's really cool. Um, yeah. So, so what kind of oh, speaking engagements have you done? I mean, do you just go to like, um, like conferences, meetings, like what kind of speaking engagements do you do exactly? In, in doing this kind of as a, I guess a personal business. I'm I'm just getting started, and so you know, reaching out to to farm bureau groups or um, you know local cattle organizations. I was able to do a lot of speaking engagements in my previous career, um, where I spoke mostly to producer groups at Cattlemen's Days or um, different things. But so for right now, it, it seems easier to get started. I think with producer groups because you can interact with people who have heard of you and know you. Um, but, you know, I'm constantly, I guess, as, as opportunities come up, I put my name out there and say, hey, you know, here's here's the link to my website. Here's what I can talk about. Um, if you're interested, I, I would love to chat with you more. And so, but, you know, just I think local cattle organizations, like local farm bureaus, kind of a great way to get your, your toe in the water, I guess, to kind of start building that resume um, from a personal basis to get going well i mean i wish you the best of luck in your speaking engagement i really like um um, public speaking and like professional speakers and all that jazz so i think the ag industry needs more and more professional speakers to kind of get our message out there so definitely best of luck um so one thing i like to ask all of our all of our guests are their thoughts on the farmer consumer relationship and you've kind of touched base on it why you started your blog but what are your thoughts on the farmer consumer relationship right now it's an area we have a lot of work to do. I was actually, I was, as I was bouncing along on my tractor yesterday in the hayfield, after you had sent me kind of the talking points we might cover, this was the one I guess I, I was kind of thinking about as I was going along. And I guess I've had kind of a, a, a mindset change over the years as I have learned more about maybe how to effectively go about advocating for our industry. And so um, I was on Facebook just the other day and I saw one of those, you know, thank a farmer posts and I, I get it to a degree, you know, where we're kind of in a thankless industry, a lot like teachers, a lot like police officers, you know, where we think, gosh, it would just be nice to be appreciated for what we do, right? Because people have to eat. But I guess as I've, um, you know, interacted with people and, and kind of put my foot into the the advocacy game I guess you know I think it's important for us to be grateful to the people who choose to put our product on their plate you know I raised beef for a living and there are a lot of other options at the grocery store you can choose to get pork you can choose to get chicken you could choose to get tofu if that was what you wanted but it's a choice 
right, that consumers make to put beef on their plate. And so, you know, instead of coming across maybe as wanting to be entitled and feeling like I deserve some gratitude for what I do, I made this choice, right? I chose to do this for a living, just like someone would choose to be a banker or choose to be a lawyer or choose to be anything in life. And that's my choice. And and I don't think that you need to thank me for that. Um, I think I need to thank you for choosing to go to the grocery store and being willing to put beef on your plate. I think maybe that's a bit of a mind shift for how I hope to interact with consumers moving forward. You know, another thing I thought about, I worked in higher education for a long time. And so working in a college setting, um, working in student affairs, I spent a lot of time with people who had never set foot on a farmer ranch, who didn't know anything about farms and ranches, who very much were raised in urban settings. And, and I was able to develop some real strong friendships, I think, um, during that time and in interacting with people and people I'm still really good friends with today. In fact, the, the woman who had asked me the question about the grain finished versus grass finished beef when I had visited her in Texas um, last winter, you know, she's one of those people who I developed an incredible friendship with who was raised in an urban setting and still lives in an urban setting. And, and the reason why I was able to have that conversation with her and the reason why, you know, we were able to talk about it so frankly and, and why she was willing to ask me questions, it's because she knows me, right? It's because we're friends. And so, you know, it wasn't me lecturing her or trying to spew facts at her, which I think we get sometimes backed into a corner a little bit in agriculture and we get a little defensive and, and we just want to be, um, I was trying to think of the commercial, but there's this commercial that used to be on TV. It's these two older women. And this one woman had like posted all of her pictures up on her wall with like tape. Um, Cause she was thinking that was what Facebook was. And the other ladies like, you know, that's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. And, and I kind of feel like we're, we're that other lady all the time wanting to go, but that's not right. That's not right at all. You know, and we, we want to spew these facts out, but, but people don't want to be lectured. You know, they don't, they don't want to be made to feel like they're wrong or, you know, that we're just kind of throwing all this information at them. We really have to develop relationships. We really have to earn their trust, I feel like. And so, you know, when I think about my friends who are very much urbanites and live in those urban settings, they're willing to come to me and ask me questions, not because they feel like, oh, she's such, you know, a know-it-all about this information. They come to me because they trust me, right? Because the relationship is there. And so I think as we move forward as an industry and start interacting with these consumers, it really has to be about foundationally, we need to start building relationships and we need to start earning trust and we need to start showing what we have in common with people. And then once that is in place, hopefully they will see us as a credible source of information to come to um, about how their food is being raised and why it's being raised that way. Instead of just trying to throw the facts at them and, and hoping they stick, I think it really has to has to start with relationship building. That's such a really cool mindset shift that you're talking about is just kind of saying thank you to consumers instead of asking to be thanked. That That's a really cool way that I think that we could build more relationships in the ag industry to say, hey, thanks for buying our product. Let's show you how we do it. Let's build a relationship. That's really, really cool. 
Well, Casey, if people want to find out more about you, they can go to your blog, which is CaseyAtkinson.com. Where else can they find you? Like I said, I'm most active on Instagram, and my handle there is 10 miles past nowhere. Um, And so that's probably where I do the best job, um, kind of sharing my life and and putting stuff out there, because that's where I get the most interaction um, from people. And so I think we tend to gravitate towards where we're seeing success. Um, I'm also on Twitter at 10 miles past the the nowhere wouldn't fit on Twitter. They don't allow that many characters. So at 10 miles past on Twitter. Um, And I tend to share probably more factual information, you know, studies, things that have come around, um, because I feel like that's more of an appropriate kind of platform for for Twitter. But yeah, my website, CaseyAtkinson.com is a great place to go. You can, you know, learn what I might speak about or where I've been and, and kind of what I'm doing. I do put some blog posts up there. I'm not super great about putting blog posts up real consistently, but I do have some posts about interesting things that have happened around the ranch. So, um, and if you go to my website, you, you can uh, sign up to get some emails and some notifications and, and reach out to me there or on Twitter or Instagram. Hey, there you go. Yeah, I like looking at your website. It's got a re- lot of really cool stuff. Just kind of talking about, I remember one of the blog posts was talking about some calves that y'all just had. So it's a really cool little little blog. I like reading it. Well, Casey, thanks for being on. Um, this was a great conversation. We wish you the best of luck, and we'll be keeping tabs on you on your blog and social media. And again, thanks for being on. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Hey, everyone. We're trying to make things easier for you to listen to the podcast. We are now a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, and that means you can now find us on an additional platform. We're now available on the Waypoint app on your Apple TV, Roku, or Amazon Fire Stick, smart TVs like Samsung, and even game systems. While you're on there, check out over 2,500 of the best hunting and fishing shows and short films. Download the app and watch and listen anywhere. miss thursdays with saltwater experience brought to you by golden boat lifts every thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m eastern on waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment